0: Hmm? Ah! Oh. I think I didn't recover. I'm afraid not. How long does it mean? Seven years. Give or take.
1: I'm no in California anymore, am I? If you can't tell, does it matter? Hey everybody, welcome to our podcast. I'm Jason and I'm David This is Westworld cast episode 9 about a show called Westworld with very advanced technology and yet we can't handle Skype
2: <laughs> Nobody can tell this at home, but uh, this is coming to you on a delayed basis <laughs>
1: yeah. It only took us 26 minutes.
2: Yeah, basically because <laughs> our not devices which would be like Antique devices in the Westworld world Yeah, it's like
1: a telegraph to us
2: Yeah, or maybe an abacus Uh Perhaps a string
1: Chalk on a cave wall Just for fun, this episode We're going to play different sections of the podcast Completely out of order And then you have to guess which order they actually go in
2: But before we do that, I have a question (laughs) Yeah,
1: we're not really going to do
2: that, by the way Is this now?
1: Uh, who? Is this Have we now? met? <laughs> <laughs> I really dug. I, I I don't want to get into the recap right now, but I did like how they handled Bernard seeing images of himself, or especially the moment when he was like, "Elsie, Elsie," and then he goes, oh, "What did he say?" He's like, "Oh, I'm not actually with you right now." So great. Yeah, just really, really cool. So. It is appropriate though that we start talking about the timeline a little bit because uh, the timeline this season is I think deliberately so it's like Bernard's memories where we're drifting around and sometimes we have little or no idea what comes before or after other things. And I think last week I totally got it wrong and I'm kind of embarrassed. (laughs)
2: so I mean that this is probably the one show where you don't have to be embarrassed yeah because they are trying to mess with you
1: and I yeah and I actually don't know how super important it is that every episode we try to nail down the timeline Um, but I just want to correct it because some people wrote in you know we asked for help actually and we did we got a few of you guys and Alexander Matijao wrote in With some clarification saying For Bernard's timeline So immediately after the gala In episode one We see Bernard at the gala with Charlotte Hale They run away with the board members They kill the stable boy Uh, Charlotte leads them down to this um, Brain egg bunker thing Bernard uses the mesh network to locate Abernathy And he's uh, also injecting brain juice From another host into himself and then in episode three, they uh, we see Bernard flash back to when they go after Abernathy, and that's when they reprogram Rebus to be a white knight. Bernard is taken hostage by the Confederados, reunited with Dolores, thrown in jail by Angela. Dolores comes to talk to him, asks for his help with Abernathy. He hacks into Abernathy, and then uh, Charlotte's men take Abernathy, and then uh, he... Bernard starts twitching and he's um, unable to walk and tries to run away from the battle. Then he's knocked out by Clementine and carried away. And we pick up from that this season, this episode. So we know that I think most of the stuff from this episode happens before he wakes up on the beach. But then, um, Alex goes on Alexander that two weeks after the gala in episode one, we see him wake up on the beach. Stubbs is there. And, uh, they go to the ghost nation native and take out his brain egg, and then they move to where the gala was, and they see all them, all the uh, guests decomposing, including Ford. And then uh, they leave again. They find that tiger, and that's when Bernard says, "I killed them all." He sees them at the in the water, and then in episode three, that's when Charlotte meets up with Bernard and Stubbs and Strand, and asks what the heck is going on where's Abernathy he keeps slipping away from us so that's now what I have for the timeline
2: okay and so we're we're definitely dipping into some of the things I think we're going to talk about in the top five but since we're talking about it let's try to nail down the timeline for this episode then
1: okay first let me say let's have this be the official beginning of our top five highlights for season two episode four the riddle of the sphinx and uh, sphinx and before we get into that do you want to just talk about what you thought about the episode
2: uh sure um i love the episode i -hmm. thought it was the best one this season so far yeah um as i've said to you uh before i like the ones that have that are mostly about ideas And then, but also have some bursts of shocking action and twists and turns. Mm -hmm. Um, Not so much like just action y gun battles and stuff. Uh, And this episode had all of that. It was jam packed, um, 70 minutes long, but um, not a boring second in there. I thought it was fascinating from beginning to end. Yeah So I give it 4.85 violent delights
1: (laughs) Nice I mean yeah I agree It's great when an episode Like this had revelations It had it, It actually felt pretty coherent to me But also mysterious And when it works on the level of You get good plot and information But also just kind of Viscerally or emotionally Artistically well done I mean I thought it had all that stuff And I needed to watch it twice To figure out what the heck happened (laughs) <laughs> yeah
2: in several places yeah. yeah so it was good
1: okay so go on
2: uh, so well um, I didn't mean to say it like I was going to perfectly fix the timeline but <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think we are at the end of Alexander's timeline before the waking up on the beach yes um, so we're at the latest point in the early Bernard timeline Yeah, uh, when he comes upon Elsie Mm-hmm. Um here's the confusing part to me. So there right, there's two timelines that involve Bernard and Elsie and the uh secret lab, one of which she's not actually in, right? It's just Bernard's memories. Yeah. Yeah. So in she's not there. Right. In one of the timelines, they together are coming upon the destroyed lab. And in one of the timelines, he is destroying the lab alone. Mm -hmm. Um, So the way I took that is, and Charlotte is nowhere to be found. And the last time we saw her with Bernard in the lab, it was still operating. So I took this to mean that after, here's the confusing part. That would have to mean that Clementine dragged Bernard up by the cave. And then he went into the lab, destroyed it, came back, found Elsie. But Elsie was right by the entrance to the lab. So how could that have happened?
1: Yeah. And that is the same lab that Bernard and Charlotte were in,
2: right? It is. Maybe it's a different entrance. Yeah. Because they got into it. it, Yeah. They got into it from a different way. It was like Charlotte finding the entrance button under a rock. And this time Mm. it was a panel in a cave.
1: But I don't think, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that. Uh, Anything happened between Clementine dragging Bernard there and Bernard waking up and seeing Elsie?
2: Okay, so here's theory number two. Mm -hmm. Um, Bernard destroyed the secret lab with Charlotte's knowledge, approval, direction, what have you, and then they went off together to look for Abernathy. Maybe. Because otherwise, when would he have done it? Because we got the impression in the last episode that it had sort of flowed right out of them being together in the secret lab although we didn't actually know that
1: but was it when they were in there was it intact for sure
2: yeah i think so remember the sort of drone hosts were wandering around doing stuff and yeah i think this is the first time we've seen it destroyed
1: but and and when you say destroyed, you mean when he went in and and killed and killed everybody. Yeah. yeah, I mean I I don't know, but I was thinking that might have happened much earlier, and then it had gotten cleaned up by the time Charlotte and Bernard showed up there.
2: Or um, we always seem to end up asking this: Are there two secret labs?
1: There could be, yeah.
2: So maybe some the lab reason, he was the sense
1: in it was the same one, but yeah, yeah but what about what I just said? Do you think it could be that, that all the stuff we were seeing in Bernard's memories were pre uh, revolt?
2: I don't know, because if it is the same lab, then Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it flowed directly from the escape in the barn to them being in the lab.
1: No, I'm, I know that um, Charlotte and Bernard were there after the escape from the barn, but right. I think that maybe when Bernard went, and destroyed everybody and including the drones and took the host control unit the little orb right i was thinking that could be in the past but i
2: I but then how would they be there with it intact after the barn it
1: could have gotten cleaned up after that I guess I don't know, drones. man. All those
2: things, they all destroyed themselves and all the yeah, scientists I guess were you're doing. Right, huh? The drones. I mean we didn't yeah. see any
1: scientists when he was there before. Well that's true. It.
2: That's true. All right. So you like, might be gonna... right. It could be even even we're going even farther back. Yeah, um, it could be. Or it is a different facility.
1: hmm. Right. And I know at least that Bernard probably doesn't know for sure. He doesn't seem to know what's happening when. No. <laughs> well, do you do you wanna go into your number five or do you want to make that your number five?
2: Well yeah, why don't we just consider that uh my number five and um just a few more things I wanted to say about it because that entire sequence was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I thought one of the most interesting parts was just what our images of Bernard uh and kind of what he really is. So, I mean, you have this, at least I do, this warm image of him, right? He's got the backstory with the son who died, and he cares the most about Dolores and the other hosts. Uh, And he's very intellectual and measured. Um, And you know he has feelings uh, because... And he's
1: sort of gentle, and and he's uh, meticulous about his job, which is an endearing quality...
2: Yeah. And he was genuinely upset about Elsie and Teresa and and all that. So he's, he's a very appealing character in a lot of ways. Um, But think about what he has done under Ford's control, you know, kidnapping. Now it turns out he may actually have been saving Elsie. So that's a little murky, Um, but killed Teresa seems complicit in these, in some other violent things. And then this whole scene in the lab is just ruthless and violent. Mm -hmm. And it's juxtaposed with his promising Elsie that he won't tell any more lies and he'll, you know, protect her and he won't be violent and all this stuff. And he
1: told her he didn't think he had anything to do with it either. And I wonder if he, if that was a lie.
2: Yeah. And Jeffrey Wright is just such a great actor. There was just this little change in affect in his voice and face where you don't believe him. And he seems a little drone like, um, like he's either being controlled or not in control. So the whole thing was just fascinating. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that there's this thing on the show about role. Good guy, bad guy roles shifting. And we've seen it with Dolores where she's got this innocent farm girl persona and this cold blooded killer. Wyatt. total, opposites and then in a more kind of cartoony way we got rebus last week turning into this white knight right which i went back and watched the uh little segment in the premiere and yeah as they're shooting the host he jumps in front and goes uh, says something like you know over my dead body or something like that (laughs) so now we know why i didn't notice that before um even ford in season one i mean i don't know if he's shifting but our perceptions of whether he's a good guy or a bad guy change.
2: Yeah. William to man in black. Uh, Yeah.
1: Now. Yeah. yeah. Now William to man in black and now man in black is, has become a hero in this episode. So it's back and forth. And then he says, uh, when the little girl who presumably is channeling Ford says, they might not remember, but I know who you are. William one good Dean, doesn't change that he's like who said anything about a good deed you wanted me to play your game I'm gonna play it to the bone so he's he may just be playing the part but either way then Bernard of course yeah like up until now he's seemed like a total good guy who whenever he did anything bad it was because he was under someone else's control well probably still does seem that way but we're maybe a little less trusting of him than we ever have been before. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be
2: bummed if, <laughs> if Bernard turns out to be evil in some way, because, um, it, you know, he, he's comforting in a way, you yeah. know, because he's so thoughtful and, and so competent and so knowledgeable, but he is dangerous. I mean, he has yeah. turned out now in a few instances to be one of the most dangerous hosts, probably bre- precisely because he is so smart and capable <laughs> as well as physically strong.
1: Yeah. He's, he's imposing and he looked really creepy in this. I mean, I just, every thing that they did with him in this episode, I thought was really great and affecting.
2: I mean, in it, in case we didn't get it, you know, there's this one scientist that isn't quite dead, crawled up to him and begged for help. And he crushed his head. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: He's like, that- Oh, That's got to (laughs) hurt.
1: That was pretty definitive. And then all the drones snapped their own necks. So to me, that just was like, okay, we don't want to have any evidence left of what just happened here.
2: Yeah. And also gave some evidence of Bernard's control. Yeah. He had control over them in that scenario. True.
1: I mean, Bernard, it feels like on this show, it's so, uh, it can feel so cynical and dark and, like they don't want anyone left for us to just totally root for. Although we still have Maeve who I would say counts and even maybe Felix. Those are like the last two I can think
2: of. Yeah. I still want to root for Bernard. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And the other thing that's all through this episode, and I'm sure it'll come up in other things we're going to talk about is there's always this hand of Ford. Like is, is everything Bernard doing the hand of Ford? It's Mm -hmm. not clear. Right.
1: Okay, that w- I actually just kind of did my number five, the good guy, bad guy. So it's your turn again.
2: Okay, uh, my number four, you know I love a good uh, call out to another show or movie, and this is one that's <laughs> been coming up a lot, but it's The Hatch. Um, yeah. I mean, this is about as direct an homage as you could make to another show, and pretty <laughs> complex one. So The Hatch from Lost, All of you who have never seen Lost, we're talking about season two, episode one, right? Mm -hmm. One of the greatest uh, beginnings to a a season, I would say, in any show's history. But Mm -hmm. in Lost, the character is Desmond, who has been hiding from the outside world that he believes is toxic in this underground uh, bunker. It's actually called Swan Station or The Hatch uh, for three years. And the season opens with um, a record playing on the record player, mm-hmm. and this
1: and this is really striking because yeah. what we've seen up until now is them stranded on this island with no creature comforts, and then flashbacks to before the island. So you feel like this is probably a flashback because he's surrounded with books, and
2: right, it doesn't seem like anything else in that scene yeah. or w- or what we've seen. So it's a, the whole thing is a fake out. But, you know, it's a guy making breakfast, record on the record players, working out on an exercise bike, uh, a lone occupant, a Scotsman. Um, (laughs) So pretty much classic rock. Yeah. yeah. Just about everything uh, that was sort of updated, a little bit tweaked and twisted for James Delos uh, to be living in this apartment that actually turns out to be a lab um and it i loved it 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 was um it was neat looking and well done in its own right um but the whole connection was really well done and uh just brought a smile to my face
1: well you're going to be surprised at this but i am pretty sure i read that lisa joy the showrunner and director of this episode said that was all coincidence <laughs>
2: I don't believe her. I don't care what yeah, she said. I, right. <laughs>
1: I'm not saying she was telling the truth. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I don't know that it was JJ Abrams idea. I kind of thought it was the writers sucking up to JJ. Abrams. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it, it was, um, another thing that was similar about it is that it wasn't what it seemed at all.
2: Yes, that's true. And a couple other things, um, as with Desmond, the moment a visitor comes by, Things start to go not well mm-hmm. and also as with John Locke and Lost I think the visitor it was John Locke and Lost it's William you know who's running this experiment or project whatever it is in Westworld essentially thinks sort of the answers are in there um, in this hatch or in this lab mm-hmm. you know in this case maybe the answer to immortality and it really isn't it's just a hatch or a lab <laughs> and the answers are not there right
1: okay well actually my number four kind of goes along with that because one of the things i really liked the most in this episode was how they did the slow reveal of what was going on in there because when you first see it i just think okay there's james delos in his fancy minimal apple store like uh, apartment <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
2: and he probably doesn't have to uh, take a number and wait at the genius bar, but
1: yes. Yeah. Yeah. He gets concierge service, yeah. but the camera pans across the place and only uh, in retrospect later, do you realize that this goldfish is like him in a bowl and the place is round so that people outside can see everywhere inside like the goldfish bowl but um yeah the the retro turntable is a nice touch they're playing play with fire from the rolling stones uh it's well you've got your diamonds and you got your pretty clothes and the chauffeur drives your car you let everybody know but don't play with me because you're playing with fire and that comes into play because they are kind of playing with him and there's a lot of fire later on
2: (laughs) yeah it ends up being a literal (laughs) yeah literal (laughs) joke later on
1: And uh, then we see his hand trembling. And, you know, I just thought, well, we already knew that he was sick. So this is a part of his sickness. And we don't find out till later that that's his, this body rejecting this consciousness. And William comes in talking about this observation period. And he had said something earlier at the retirement that they had been preparing something. It seemed like maybe a cure could be imminent But um, Delos might die before it happened. But really now we know that he was talking about this way to try and extend his life through implanting his consciousness into a host, I guess. And then um, later on in the conversation, young William hands James Delos the script for what they just said. And so then I'm like, okay, I guess he's a host and he, he doesn't realize it. It became clear at some point what was going on, you know, that they were trying to make him immortal. And when he said, like, I'm not in California anymore, am I? It's just little little tiny revelations kept coming and coming. That's, oh, that's not what I thought it was. Oh, that's not what I thought it was. And William goes, if you can't tell, does it matter? And I'm like, oh, that's a great callback. Like, they just keep, you know, like, yeah, you get little buzzes like, oh, my God. Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think I was completely sure of what was going on when he said fidelity. Uh-huh. Because um, th- that makes sense. You're checking the fidelity of the copy, essentially. Right. The copy of his original consciousness. Yeah.
1: And then we see the the same scene later with young William, maybe a little older. And it, that was kind of ironic because now Delos is on a loop, just like the hosts going through the same thing over and over again. And then when we saw older William men in black come in, that was another pow moment. Cause it's like, Oh wow. This has just been going on for 30 years and you start to feel sorry for the guy Delos.
2: Yeah. I thought there were some interesting sort of technical questions here. Hmm. So, you know, the original, um, and I guess this is just a technical question, but how did they capture the consciousness so it could be uploaded? Right, is one question. But now there's this whole thing of the something that was an original consciousness can't live in a host body without um, deteriorating mm-hmm. after a certain amount of time, and they go through this whole thing of did it reject the body? And it's not that it rejected reality. But that made me wonder about the, um, all the rest of the hosts, the hosts that are not necessarily transplanted human consciousnesses. Mm-hmm. Consciousnesses, is that a word? <laughs> um, uh, conscious nigh. Um, <laughs> so would those sort of personalities deteriorate in the same way? Over the same amount of time because they're continually getting shut down and reprogrammed Mm -hmm. and fixed and uh, Maybe they wouldn't last indefinitely either And maybe we'll start to see that in some hosts now that they're off their loops and not getting maintained Um, I'm not saying that's the case, but I'm wondering Yeah, me too. Yeah, I wonder that too And then it made me wonder if all the hosts are captured consciousness I know Like, are we going to find out the basis of all of them is some human somewhere?
1: Well, at one point, Elsie said that Delos Corporation, oh, they printed his body and copied his developed mind onto a control unit like our hosts. And I'm like, what does she mean by that? Like our hosts, like, is this somehow similar to what's going on with the hosts?
2: Yeah. So they've laid down a whole big mystery to be explored here or something obviously that has an answer, but it hasn't been revealed.
1: And we've heard before somebody saying, I think it was Bernard telling someone, you know, we actually don't know exactly how they work. And, you know, that to me suggested that Arnold was the genius and he uh, programmed something in a way that nobody else could quite figure out. But maybe what he really did was figured out how to capture consciousnesses, you know.
2: Right. And the other interesting thing here was that this whole experiment seemed to be being run by William. And although William ends up being the owner of the company or running the company, uh, he's not the scientific genius behind it. Uh, So I thought that was a little interesting. We never saw Ford or Bernard or, you know, those guys involved with this Mm -hmm. or Arnold, I mean. Um. So I, I thought that was interesting, and then I thought the whole cruelty aspect was interesting.
1: You know what? So William had to convince James Delos to invest in the company, and he started to get some ideas, like, oh, oh, you know, this could actually really be something other than just a, an amusement park. And maybe one way that he convinced him was, well, you're sick, so we can use the technology that they're using here to make you immortal. And if he had that idea, then maybe there was already something like that going on there, because that's quite a jump to say, hey, we can program these robots to be very human like to we can extract a consciousness and implant it. That's in fact, I was going to ask you like that is another level of sci fi if that's what's going on, you know, and is that too much?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's too much. Me neither. Um, I think it, it, it's a cool concept, yeah. but, but it's a good point that you make um, that maybe that was one of the selling points, which would mean that it was already happening.
1: Something like that. Yeah. In that direction was already happening because you wouldn't just like you know, if cars just came along and you sell it to someone by saying, well, we can make these fly too. It does it's not that easy.
2: <laughs> right. But it made me wonder about the motivations because the man in black ends up being a very cold, cynical, calculating character. Right. And he, yes, William starts out more innocent, but he's pretty calculating too. Mm-hmm. I mean, right from the beginning and the way he got got Delos to invest and outmaneuvered his brother-in-law and all this stuff. So it seems to me if he sold the old man on, you know, we're, we're going to bring you back to life with this thing, I would think once the actual old man died, then William would be like, ah, eh, why, why, what do I need to do this for? Mm-hmm. Well, you know? maybe he's, uh, well, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking
1: at some point I wondered, because uh, it sounds like Bernard was supposed to go get, a control unit for somebody else. And I was wondering if that was for Ford or maybe it's for the man in black. If it's for the man in black, then maybe he's using Dallas as a test case.
2: Yeah, maybe. And, uh, we know also that he's vindictive, um, that he's, he's embittered and vindictive. And we know that dating right back all the way to the first episode of the series where he likes to continually take revenge on Dolores for hurting him. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not a total shock that he would want to torture this version of Jim Delos uh, and that the more time that goes by, the crueler he is to him as his own character changes. But it, it did make me wonder like what happened between them that he wants this Uh, representation of jim Dallas to suffer (laughs) so you don't think he's
1: actually trying to make this work in earnest
2: it seems like he is at first Mm -hmm. um but he's also even in the first instance we see um he's pretty cruel in a way i mean if you if you take the host sitting next to him as a real consciousness with real feelings um i I mean the he I think the time scale is they know it's starting to go wrong when that hand tremor comes in and he yeah. can't pour the milk like that's when they know oh, he's degrading, but if the creature has feelings, you really wouldn't have to reveal at all what he is, yeah, to him, right, you know I guess well, you do to have to trigger the breakdown,
1: yeah, uh, that's the thing, so this conversation that they're having delos goes what's the purpose of these questions and he says like i said they're just trying to establish a baseline for what fidelity so a baseline is a starting point for comparisons and fidelity is the degree of exactness with which something is copied or reproduced so i would think that that would mean that they were trying to find out if this host human hybrid james delos would act like the original delos is the fidelity there but it's not it's or maybe it sort of is, but it's whether he'll repeat the conversation that he did before because he's got the script in his hand, so I think fidelity means, will you repeat this and I'm like well i don't I don't really understand why they want to see if he'll repeat himself, and then when he hands the script to delos uh it it seems like the test is to see what will happen when he figures out what he
2: is. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it, cause it, it does trigger the breakdown. Yeah. I mean, time. he,
1: he was like, he was spilling his coffee before, uh, William came the first time. So he was already starting to degrade, but yeah, that always seems to make him really go haywire <laughs> when he sees that script. So I'm still kind of confused about exactly what this test was and what, what was going on there. But it did seem like it was something the integral part of it was revealing to him that he he's not what he thought he was and seeing how that would affect him.
2: Yeah. And whatever the interaction is between consciousness and the brain that is inside that body, uh, it doesn't it can't handle it.
1: Yeah, it can't handle that. But here's another interesting thing is that if human host hybrid James Delos doesn't realize what he is and that is his consciousness somehow in there, then that suggests that the perceptions inside this body are very similar to human perceptions and, you know, emotions and everything that you experience. Uh, So that mean, you know, otherwise you'd be like, why is everything ones and zeros all around me or whatever? (laughs) So, well, and um, it
2: also was a big confirmation of something we talked about dating back to season one. Which is, I took this as proof that multiple copies are possible. Yeah. Because they kept destroying this body and then, you know, making another copy. Right. Of the consciousness.
1: But I mean, also, if they're that close, where if you could transplant a human consciousness in and it wouldn't even know that it wasn't human because everything felt the same, then that just shows how close or at least it suggests that the host, the other hosts are very close to being human too. You know what I mean? Yes, in
2: their feelings and perceptions.
1: Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Right, right. If the technology is, you know, very similar.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
1: All right, what's your number three? <laughs>
2: that's complicated (laughs) Um, so my number three leads right off of that and actually it's kind of funny for this to be a number three in a random top five (laughs) because it's (laughs) big but basically it's the true purpose of the park (laughs) uh, which we've speculated about for a long time and I think really has been confirmed here you know I thought for a long time it was replacing humans with doppelgangers yeah me too Uh, and that may still be going on yes um, as a uh, you know an adjacent strategy but it seems like the main point is immortality
1: mm-hmm. a lot of clues to that are what they chose to show for the previously on because they were talking about Ford was talking about Lazarus and stuff
2: we've slipped the evolutionary leash mm-hmm. we're going to go see Lazarus in his mm-hmm. cave yes mm-hmm. that's true Um resurrection Lisa Joy speaking to entertainment weekly said, we're asking questions about who we are, what qualities define us are duplicable, even with the greatest of technologies, or is there something essential to us we cannot replicate? Um, so that goes back to the question of can even the consciousness transplanted be human or is there some essence there that can't be immortal? Um, but they do explore the concept of immortality in this episode. um, And I'm I'm sure it's going to be explored more further, but, and as in most stories and allegories that humans seem to tell, uh, immortality is not treated kindly in this episode. And, And basically Jim Delos, as he's dying, the, as his, you know, copy is dying is talking about essentially how immortality is hell, not heaven mm-hmm. and certainly the immortality that he has experienced has been hell. I mean repeated mental degradation degradation to the point of madness uh, and then death and then start over um, and also sort of being tortured along the way by mm-hmm. this this other guy. It, it kind of reminded me of no exit that play, which is considered maybe a representation of hell where the characters can't find meaning, can't figure out what it's all about and can't escape. And there's just no resolution.
1: Sounds like life.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It does. So, I mean, it's pretty bleak. Yeah. Um, And it, it would jibe well with man in black saying in the previous episode, uh, I'm, out to fix my biggest mistake. Yeah. And you could read that as being the mistake being that pursuit of immortality.
1: And in this episode, he says to Delos, I'm beginning to think that's all this whole enterprise was a mistake. People aren't meant to live forever. I mean, take you for example, ruthless Flander with no ethics in your business or family dealings, a veritable shithead In truth. Everyone pursues uh, prefers the memory of you to the man himself. World's better off without you, Jim. Possibly without me. So he's talking about himself too. But um, he's got judgment about this. It feels like in relation specifically to Delos here. But then later he's talking. Or Major Craddock, this uh, confederato guy, is bragging about how he was brought back to life. I died just recently, in fact. Death can't bear to, bear to lay a claim on me and then man in black says death's decisions are final it's only the living that are inconstant and waver don't know who they are or what they want death is always true it's a little unclear but it feels to me like based on what we've known of man in black that he came to a decision that uh immortality is not what you want and that goes along with his search for meaning in the park where he really wants the park to have a real effect and to have the real risk of death. You know, that's been a thing with him the whole time. And so that I think maybe that might reflect his disillusionment for his search for immortality. I don't know when that scene happened, when he went in as Ed Harris version of William and gave up on James Delos, but he said it would just last a couple of days, but I don't know. It's hard to tell when that happened. I I feel like it was before, Anything else we've seen from Ed Harris, Man in Black, I don't know. But anyway, if if there's no risk and that means there's no meaning to Man in Black, then immortality means there's no meaning in life. And I think that does also kind of like you suggested could come back to haunt the host, too, because they're basically immortal or
2: potentially immortal. Well, and Dolores has been openly talking about that that you know unlike humans who are going to end up in the dust we're the race that never dies um but you know curse or blessing is the question there right and whether it's even true yeah
1: right and if it is true she really doesn't have any experience of that where you don't forget who you are every day and wake up refreshed she doesn't know what it's like to be immortal and have an accumulation of experiences in your consciousness and whether that's a curse or not.
2: No. I mean, even if she can remember everything, she's only lived 30 years,
1: right? That's true. Yeah. I mean, that's always a question, huh? Whether you'd want to live forever. And I definitely always feel like I would love to live a lot longer than the human lifespan. <laughs> yes. But there's I a know. lot of
2: room in between infinity and, say, longer than we get. To
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're right. I mean, if you go through a, a thousand years, you're not even getting started when it comes to infinity. <laughs>
2: yeah. There's a great character in uh, the um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series called mm-hmm. Prak. And somehow he accidentally became immortal and he got really, really bored and couldn't figure out what to do to give meaning to his life. So he decides to insult every creature in the universe in alphabetical order.
1: <laughs> Why not?
2: <laughs> it's as good as anything else you can come up with.
1: What I always think of is, well, at some point the sun is going to grow. It's going to swell up and swallow the solar system. And so I probably wouldn't want to live past that. Yeah unless we've traveled out to other (laughs) planets
2: and honestly that might get you You, no matter how good your body was
1: yeah yeah hopefully otherwise you'd just be sitting here inside a star yeah yawning could be cool (laughs) (laughs) could be cool for a few thousand years yeah okay my number three we've talked a little bit but i just wanted to talk about yeah the the kind of um practicalities or the questions that come with the idea of embedding a human consciousness into a host slash robot body. You kind of touched on it, but it sounds like it's, it's a copy. Like there's this game called Soma that anyone interested in this stuff, I would suggest go out and play. It's a great game. It's kind of a horror game, but the concept comes up of this very thing where you can take your conscious make a copy of it and put it in a different body. But the thing is the character gets a rude awakening when he does that because he needs a new body to be able to escape a situation and the new body goes off and it's like, all right, escape. But then you've got the original guy sitting back there about to die going, wait, what happened? And the, his friends like, well, you, you copied your consciousness and there goes the copy, but you're still here. Well, I wanted to escape, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> <laughs> right. So is it like that? I mean, I think it's like that where you're not really immortal. You're just making a copy of yourself and you die and they live on.
2: And I mean, think about two, if we're copying consciousnesses, where is the original reposing and is it active or is it just data right like is it living in a computer somewhere Mm -hmm. and actually having conscious thought and progressing or is it just data that can be copied into something that makes it active yeah
1: yeah is it like an application that's needs to be read by a processing unit right and i wondered i don't know but that little orb that Bernard retrieved. I thought maybe that was someone's consciousness. I don't know though. what do you think?
2: Yeah, it could be <clears throat> as good a theory as any. Uh, <laughs> so when he basically said, Holy shit, when he saw what was inside Abernathy, was that a consciousness or a multiple? Right. Or everybody's yeah. What made him react? like?
1: And that? then Elsie, when, uh, so she uh, put Bernard in safe mode, which I thought was kind of funny because that's what you do to Windows. And <laughs> <laughs> and then he woke up and saw her looking at her magic iPad, and there was that same kind of signature. She was reading some kind of software, but I didn't I didn't catch where that was coming from. Like, what was she reading? It was some kind of processor that she found on site or something? I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But when they talk about printing a control unit at first, I thought that was the body, but I think that's like the CPU or maybe the, whatever hardware, the consciousness is. Yeah. And this all just made me wonder, like when like robot Ford boy or the little girl that was channeling Ford, do they have bits of Ford consciousness in them? And also it makes me think about how, you know, I've been saying this, but when we saw bernard flashing on different experiences one of them was seeing dolores in that black cocktail dress and then we found out later that it was arnold who saw that so it makes me wonder again if bernard has some of arnold's consciousness in him
2: or is actually a copy
1: right yeah i i have a feeling i mean just the fact that uh They've been trying to do this with James Delos and it hasn't succeeded, but you got to think that we're going to see a successful iteration of that on the show at some point. Right.
2: Yeah. And again, the interesting thing to me there is it was William. That's trying to do it with James Delos, Mm -hmm. obviously with some help. Um, but we don't see the two real geniuses involved. So maybe they've been able to do it and he hasn't. Right. When I have a theory too,
1: I, I, I don't know if this will actually happen but it's a possibility that if william does want to do that and let's say you could make a copy of your consciousness without having to die and let's say if you wanted to embed that in a host but maybe not make it old make it young then we could see jimmy simpson william and ed harris william meet together on screen
2: Interesting. At the same time. (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe aging is a sign of humanity, uh, but although maybe the appearance of aging would also be programmed.
1: I mean, if I was going to be immortal, I would pick my 27-year-old body. For sure. And stick to that. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So anyway, that's my number, whatever it was, three. Okay, so my number two is the Man in Black, Versus Major Craddock, which I thought ended up being a. There's a lot of adversaries in this show that sort of end up being paired off for for a short or long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man in Black and Robert Ford seem to seems to be the longest running rivalry, uh, but we've sort of had Man in Black and Dolores, and we've had charlotte hale versus ford and you know we've had a bunch of different incarnations maven of dolores
1: for a second Maven with dolores yep
2: which we think is going to come back mm-hmm. um so this one didn't last long but it was fun um, they had a pretty good little little battle going where you think the man in black is betraying lawrence he actually ends up outflanking major craddock Uh, by making a deal with him where he seems to be betraying Lawrence but um, really enables him to get the upper hand Mm -hmm. Uh, and I like that the man in black sort of gets tired of this windbag major (laughs) cratic lecturing him about how clever he is Mm -hmm. and he says you didn't see death sitting right in front of you and we get this this great action scene where he he stabs him in the throat and then there's a whole gun battle and then
1: And that was a good gun battle. Like I really enjoy that man in black actually is a really proficient gunslinger because he's had a lot of practice in the park and it's just fun to watch.
2: Yes. And it culminating of course, in one of, I think the best deaths that we've seen (laughs) in of any creature host or human in this show, which was drink (laughs) nitroglycerin and get exploded. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was all, it it just was entertaining. Yeah. uh, The whole thing. And uh, poor Confederados—they're always getting used by somebody or other. It made me wonder, though, because that whole storyline seemed to further Man in Black's storyline or his progress towards wherever it is he's going. And then the daughter of Lawrence speaking in Ford's voice to Man in Black—you know that—and she says, "Hey, this is." This is all part of the game. And if you're looking to the future, you're looking the wrong direction, basically. Mm-hmm. But clearly speaking as Ford, which I think means the man in black was supposed to encounter that whole storyline and her. So that made me wonder the Teddy betrayal of Dolores that allowed uh, Major Craddock and the Confederados to escape instead of being executed. Hmm. Resulted in them being in the right time and place to interact with the man in black. So it made me wonder if Ford's hand was in the Teddy betrayal.
1: Hmm. If so, I would say that, you know, I mean, Ford's dead, but his consciousness or his programming seems to have survived him in some form or another. And so there must be an ultimate goal that he has or had, and so they can adjust on the fly. To it's not like he would predict every possible permutation of what might happen, but he could take into account whatever's going on and adjust on the fly.
2: Yeah, yeah, could be and, and adapt um, to the situation. Right. So what the the daughter actually said was. Um, Speaking as Ford, presumably, Mm -hmm. you don't understand the real game. If you're looking forward, you're looking in the wrong direction. I'm not sure what that means.
1: I think it does mean future. And I think he's already on that page because he's going to the site of his worst mistake or whatever, however that
2: goes, you know? So he's yeah. So he's looking to the past.
1: Yeah. I don't know if that was any kind of a revelation for him.
2: Yeah, just seems like there might be more to it. Yeah, there usually than is. That, and then the last thing was, and this was just an impression I got. Um, I've been a little suspicious of the Man in Black's proficiency as a gunslinger, because if you know, if it really is up for grabs and there's no safety margin anymore, he's been in some pretty intense fights and gun battles now, mm-hmm. uh, and he's gotten wounded once or twice. Uh, But he basically walked away from this gun battle against several other guys. And there was one shot in there where it seemed to me like a gunshot hit him. And it just felt like he sort of slapped at his neck like it was a mosquito bite. (laughs) And it just made me wonder, like, do they not have the real weapons? Or is he somehow still immune? Or what's going on there? It doesn't seem like he's fully vulnerable. He could be a host. He could be a host. Or he could still have some special protection of some kind. Mm-hmm. Because he's the head of the company. Right. Or because um, Ford's involved in it or mm-hmm. we don't know why.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would like to think that he is now in danger because all the safeties are off, but it does seem pretty
2: suspicious. Right. And it could be he's just a badass. It could but, be. But it seems questionable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't really take anything for granted. Okay. Um my number two is about immortality and death, and part of it was the purpose of the park being immortality, which we've already covered. But also there was just a lot about death in this episode. There were references to people who have died. Delos died because I, I really liked it when he said, I take it, I didn't recover. William's like, I'm afraid not. That's You, you don't see that conversation too, mu- too much where someone is disappointed to find out that they died.
2: <laughs> right. And it, it also implies that the copy of the consciousness was made when that was still in doubt.
1: Yeah. Right. And yeah, can you make a con- copy post-mortem? I mean, we've found out that they're logging Records of guest experiences and also their DNA, so is that part of how you transfer a consciousness through records of experience and DNA? don't know, yeah, maybe um and, uh, James' wife we find out she had a stroke. We find out Logan overdosed. I'm pretty sure the goldfish died. uh William's wife killed herself. they mentioned that yeah,
2: and that was a a powerful image in this episode where. Um, They humanize him, for lack of a better word. Uh, And that motivates him to act as a hero, really, for the first time. Yep. Or, yeah, to act as a hero. His memory of his wife. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. So my number one is the trailer for next week. (laughs) It looked amazing. Yeah, I watched it too. For anyone who didn't watch it, it. They really have done something more this season i think than they did last which is they've they've split episodes by characters so we've had some whole episodes go by where a storyline we we're seeing last week just never shows up at all mm-hmm. um in one case it was charlotte hale and bernard sort of disappeared for an episode um and in this case it's Maeve.
1: yeah i read this was the first episode without Maeve.
2: yeah it it was okay um but so at the end of the last episode they were charged by the um shogun warrior they'd either strayed into that part of the park is what we think happened or you know somehow the borders are getting mixed but in the trailer we dive all the way into shogun world um you know Maeve ends up confronting a japanese character saying her hit line this is the new world and you can be whoever the fuck <laughs> you want in japanese <laughs> Uh, which is both awesome. And it opens up this whole thing about storylines across worlds. Right. Right. If they're going to show up with Lee Sizemore, did he write those storylines too? It's the same line.
1: Yeah. He's like, they're like, can you be a little more original across parks?
2: Right. But it looks like it's going to be new, different action packed. Interesting. Yes. Something totally and completely different. I cannot wait.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. My number one is, my weekly check-in with ghost nation and we learn that they're just killing hosts not humans and we know that Dolores killed one of them we saw that in the premiere
2: um but she's kills one in the future maybe yeah we we don't know actually right. when
1: we don't know when but i think that's a yeah i, I don't know maybe it doesn't really matter but at some point right. she's against them and uh it looks like the leader uh Akachita is going to kill Ashley Stubbs but then just holds a knife to his throat and says you live only as long as the last person who remembers you which feels like a commentary on immortality or outliving yourself but doesn't kill any of them and even um Grace slash Emily she runs off and they don't really seem to try to capture her so it feels like they're on the human side even when then when they met lee and Maeve, they wanted to take lee the the one human that was with the other hosts um i don't know there's been theories online and i haven't said them because i didn't want to potentially give a spoiler but for a couple of weeks that elsie was still alive and she's been programming them well now we know elsie's still alive but i i don't feel like those stories are connected because she's been chained up so I don't really know what's going on with them, but it seems to me that the natives are against the rebelling hosts and they're trying to, maybe they're trying to help the humans. At least they're not killing them.
2: Yeah. I mean, they have some mysterious purpose. I don't think we know mm-hmm. what's going on there.
1: And that was the last moment that we saw this time. I had to go back and check cause it was like halfway into the episode, but it was just when he was holding that knife to, Ashley Stubbs throat and then didn't kill him. Yeah. So we still don't know how Ashley got away from them, but I'm glad they went back
2: to that. Yeah. I got to say that so far, Ashley Stubbs has been kind of useless. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, basically his whole advice and he's like the, like the badass security guy. He's like, uh, ah, wait for the cavalry. You know, <laughs> he has no suggestions at all yeah. on, uh, what they should do
1: to me. He, uh, Whenever I see him, he has the vibe of, even though he's, like you said, badass security guy, he feels most like a normal person to me, like someone I might know that just happens to be there in the park. I don't know why. Maybe it's just the way the guy plays the part or something.
2: It really reminds me of the Chris Pine character in the remake of Jurassic Park or Jurassic World, whatever they called it, mm. where he's the sort of badass dinosaur expert. But the whole time he's going, uh, hey, this is all going to go bad until I
1: warn you guys Mm -hmm. Chris Pratt
2: Chris Pratt sorry uh oh there was one you know I
1: forgot to mention when I was talking about good guy bad guy and good versus evil I forgot to mention James Delos because he's come off like a bad guy before but I felt more sympathetic to him here because he's very helpless and he's sick and he's confused and at the end though when he's when the uh, Bernard and Elsie find him and he says, I'm all the way down now. I can see all the way to the bottom. You like to see what I see. They said there were two fathers, one above one below. They lied. There was only ever the devil. And when you look up from the bottom, it was just his reflection laughing back down at you. I I don't know if that's related to how there's these dualities with all these characters where sometimes they seem good and sometimes evil, but this feels like they're saying, well, there's really only the devil. And, uh, this show just feels so dark and misanthropic to me sometimes that it seemed like it could be saying that, that, you know, good is an illusion.
2: Yeah. It could be making a, a the greater statement about, um, heaven and hell and immortality. And as we were talking about earlier, it also could be a slightly more limited statement that, the life of this creature, this version of James Delos lived and died under this entirely under the control of William, uh, who is a cruel master. Right. And, um, it, it kind of reminded me of Ford recreating his whole family and his partner recreating them in a way he could completely control. Mm -hmm. hmm. Um, So his father, in a sense, um, the father of this entity is William, in a sense, uh, and not a kind one. He's the devil. Yeah. All right. What's your notes? So just a few. I was going to mention Grace. So pretty big reveal that I think everybody had already guessed or knew or had spoiled that um, she was the daughter of the man in black. Mm -hmm. Just great character. Great addition to the show. Um, really a badass in her own right get the idea of how often she must have been in the park if she speaks the ghost nation language mm-hmm. i mean that's not just coming in and out and having a little adventure that's you know you would have had to spend some real time in there and get out to the edges and have some some crazy times uh to pick up the language
1: <laughs> yeah and that goes along with little hints to in last week when she was in the Raj and seemed to know all about the ins and outs of the park too, but yeah. even more so now. Yeah. And just knowing the language.
2: Yeah. And uh, just another strong female character in the show, which is full of them.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's cool. And what do we know about her? We, I think uh man in black has mentioned her a few times and, and always seems to suggest that she doesn't like him.
2: Yeah, I think he said at some point she won't talk to me anymore or something like that.
1: Yeah, so I think that's the only thing we really know about her aside from what we've seen these two episodes.
2: But she seems to have come looking for him at the end of this. Like, yeah. she wasn't surprised to see him.
1: Who Did you think that was Dolores? Uh, I,
2: I thought it was going to be Grace just by knowing how the show works. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we were meant to think it was going to be Dolores. Right but we're too smart. (laughs) Yeah. We have low cunning from watching too many TV shows. (laughs) What else? Um, So we hadn't talked about the title of the episode, Mm -hmm. um, the riddle of the Sphinx. So just the background on this. And again, um, I'll hope to be corrected by people who know way more about it than I do. But this is from uh, Sophocles, Oedipus Rex. Oedipus went off to try to avoid his fate um, of killing his father and marrying his mother. And it took him to Thebes, the entrance to which was being guarded by the Sphinx who demanded of everyone a riddle to enter the city. And if they could not answer correctly, she strangled and devoured them. Neither of which sounds pleasant. (laughs) And uh, the riddle was unless you're Logan, you might like a little (laughs) (laughs) right? (laughs) So the (laughs) riddle was not um, specified. Uh, in the original Sophocles, but um, has basically come to be codified as which creature has one voice and yet becomes four-footed and two-footed and three-footed? And Oedipus's answer was man who crawls on all fours as a baby, walks on two feet as an adult, uses a walking stick in old age. Mm-hmm. So I think we're talking about the stages of human existence here. Mm-hmm. And also maybe a a metaphor for the man in black trying to find this door, Um, you know, trying to pass through Mm -hmm. Oedipus did not end up avoiding his fate, uh, which is probably another statement about all these characters.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think actually the act of trying to avoid is what led him to it.
2: Yes. (laughs) And um, yeah, it's like that Star Trek next generation where they kept saying, we can't second guess ourselves. Let's just keep going towards the time loop, <laughs> uh, which Karen and I always thought was stupid. It's like, why don't you try something different? Yeah. Uh, but, go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think there's almost too many metaphors there. To I know. Crack. Right. Uh, it connects to so many different things.
1: Yeah. Folly, tragedy, yeah, trying to avoid fates and bringing it about and I read that there was another rarer riddle that sometimes is associated with this. There are two sisters. One gives birth to the other and she in turn gives birth to the first, who are the two sisters? And it turns out they're day and night, which is about a loop. And, um, also maybe about how humans made these hosts. And then now this host becomes this hybrid human host.
2: Yep, and then uh, the last one I have is the other song that was playing in The Hatch, this version of The Hatch, was uh, Do the Strand, Roxy Music, and uh, just, they always just choose fun songs where the lyrics relate to what's going on, and the first line, first verse of Do the Strand starts... There's a new sensation, a fabulous creation, a danceable solution to teenage revolution, <laughs> which kind of perfectly describes the creature that is living in the hatch,
1: dancing to the song. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And later on in that song, it mentions the Sphinx. I don't know if that just like nailed it. Yeah. From him. Oh, we got to use it. Yeah, mm-hmm. could be. Okay, I you covered most of mine, but I got a couple more. The Chinese workers strapping people to the train tracks. I think those are all hosts, right? Because well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But either way, I, I guess it's now that the safeties are off and there's no constraints. It's about turnabout for their mistreatment, being forced to work on the tracks.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. It doesn't seem like the most practical, practical for a well-running <laughs> train system. <laughs>
1: I just thought it was a revolt and it was punishment, but I don't know. It was pretty
2: striking. It was, it was disturbing as a disturbing image for sure.
1: And then I think it's pretty significant that uh, Bernard mentions that Ford sent him to that lab to print out a control unit, but he doesn't remember who for, and now he wants to go find out and he convinces LC to go with him. I think that's their new mission. So that's really tantalizing mission.
2: It is. And the, the whole time you're going, don't go with them.
1: <laughs> yeah. And she's like, mm, all right. I was going to like go escape this hell hole. But yeah, even though you tied me up and you're acting really strange, I'll go with you.
2: Yeah. I think that that whole fact that she was trapped in a cave or whatever, he, she said, you know, you left me with a few power bars and a bucket means that not a lot of time went by. There. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she seems fine. Uh,
2: and there was some reference earlier Stubbs had made to her, you know, her tracker is still active. So there wasn't a, a hint earlier that she was not dead.
1: Yeah. And that's why I think all these theories came about that she was programming the the ghost nation.
2: Yeah. And they've kind of pulled that one on us in this show a few times now. Uh, where you think Stubbs was killed by Ghost Nation but he was just tackled and you think she was killed by Bernard um, but uh, she was just kidnapped Um, if you don't actually see him die you know I get suspicious now
1: yeah totally yeah they should probably not do that too much more for a while yeah I would say alright that is good we'll take a little break there's more to come stay with us
2: my brain is working over time Something
1: all right we're back it's time for the news entertainment weekly interviewed lisa joy who's showrunner as you know and also she directed this episode and i think it was her first time directing anything i'm not sure about that but it was definitely her first time directing uh, westworld so they asked the story of james delos was such a horrifying and mesmerizing tale can you first talk from a writer's room standpoint about coming up with that She says, Jonathan Nolan and Gina Atwater wrote this beautiful script, and we hinted at the real goal of the park as far back as season one, how it's one thing for guests and something else for the owners. And you realize what they're doing in this park is far beyond just indulging people's appetites for entertainment and the big founder, patriarch and mogul James Delos. It's his bid for immortality, and he's determined to make a copy for himself. And of course, it's taken some trial and error. You've seen the host in their loops before, and the humans are always in control. And somebody like James Delos is used to calling all the shots. So we love the idea of having an episode that unfolded where you can see the tables are turned and now James Delos is on a loop when he doesn't understand and he's not in control where he's now the victim. Uh, what kind of coordination if any was done between ed harris and jimmy simpson in terms of aligning their performances for this episode she goes there was some coordination i did talk to both of them in advance because they're playing the same character just evolving over time so jimmy's performance had to shift subtly from the first iteration to the second and it also couldn't be distinct from what ed was doing of course you never want to tell actors to copy each other but in this case it was really important they see what each other was doing they were playing the constant to James Delos as the variable in an experiment. So their blocking had to stay very similar in terms of where they were sitting and how they were sitting. I asked both actors to do a rehearsal where Jimmy and Ed would see what was happening. Jimmy actually watched a lot of what Ed was doing as the man he was going to become and began to tailor his performance to that. Everything from his posture being a little weaker, a little more at the edge of his seat rather than back in comfort like Ed sits, everything was thought about trying to show in the subtlest of details, the evolution of their character. I couldn't be more grateful to both actors. I did notice that they both seem like they're becoming more like each other a little bit.
2: Yeah. And most of the time we saw them early on, they didn't really come into as close contact uh, as they do. And this, this scene is really a touch point where they're, they're performing the same action.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And earlier in season one, they wouldn't have wanted to tip us off because they wanted to hide the fact that they're the same person too.
2: Right, so now the cat's out of the bag so they can play like the if, characters a different way for similarity. Right.
1: They wouldn't want to give them give him Tourette's or something where he's got the same tip. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> All right, next they interviewed... Vulture Magazine interviewed Alex Ward, who was the main drone host. Mm. They say, how are you recruited to play the spooky drone host? He says, I'm an actor who specializes in playing monsters and creatures. I work with a lot of different makeup artists, and I would work with a company that was making the suit. They gave me a call and let me know they had a creature, a thing they wanted me to try. They needed someone to do something weird, and they knew I'd be down for that. They go, I think people would be surprised that this wasn't a motion capture situation and you were actually in this very intricately created and executed costume. Can you walk me through all the steps it took to get it on and how long that process lasted? He goes, the suit was relatively easy, surprisingly, compared to the other suits I've worn in the past. It was essentially this. I was wearing a gray undersuit, like a morph suit, and someone would zip up the back and I had a hood with a foam face of the drone on it, which would come over the top. would then slide into the full body suit of the drone and there was another piece strapped over the face those were all sealed and a blank face piece would be magnetized onto the front all in all it was about a half hour process i usually play these dirty gross or dead monsters i don't often get to be weirdly (laughs) pretty so this was very cool for me (laughs) they say did did you see out of the suit at all the drone's faces appear totally obstructed He goes, there were two different face masks that snapped onto the front. One was completely opaque and I couldn't see through it. So that's what was used for close-up shots or shots where I'm not doing much because I was totally blind. But in the scenes where I was doing movement or walking long distances, there was one face mask that had a slight vision out of it. A little slit that I could see out of a couple more.
2: I mean, the details that go into shooting these things, it's mind boggling.
1: Yeah, it looked, those things looked really super cool. I liked it. I'm glad we didn't mention it, but we finally got to see them commit some horrors that we knew was probably going to happen the moment we saw them on screen.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So that was satisfying. Yeah. There was no doubt they were destined for that. Mm -hmm.
1: They ask, what kind of directives were you given in terms of the way these drones move and present themselves? How strict was it? He says, they wanted them completely devoid of emotion and humanity. They wanted their movements to be inhumid in their fluidity. This thing that just moves very conservatively, only moving for the specific purpose it needs to do. And then what was the most surprising or challenging aspect of mastering those movements? He says, it was a fun challenge to do, making these things look like they didn't need to look at what they were seeing because they have no eyes. Like they were using sensors to pick everything up. So doing things without necessarily looking at what you were doing was an interesting challenge. I just thought that was a neat perspective to get. Mm -hmm. And then uh, next decider.com interviewed Katya Airbear, who's man in black's daughter. I don't know if that's how you say your name, but that's how I say it. And I just thought this one was interesting. They asked her whether she's grace as she was identified in last week's episode or Emily, which is the name of man in black's daughter. And she said from season one, we knew that her name is Emily because the man in black is her father, but I go by grace in the park. I think my name is Emily grace and I just use grace in the park. I don't know whether to believe that,
2: but that's what she said. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and I could see that character not wanting to go by the name that her dad gave her, her parents gave her. Right, yeah,
1: good point. Finally, uh, you submitted this uh, story. I actually saw a, a video of it recently. Google had a conference where they introduced new technology, and they have this new thing called Duplex, which is... A digital assistant using artificial intelligence that can call a local business to make appointments on your behalf over the phone. It sounds like a person and down to going "hmm" and pausing or, oh, I gotcha. Things like that. If you go online, I'll put the link in the show notes, but you can watch this video and it's uh, pretty creepy, right?
2: It absolutely is. <laughs> I mean, it, if you know what it is, it's maybe not 100% perfect. Yeah. But I could totally see it fooling somebody. And uh, and you know they're going to make it better. Yeah. So, you know, to the point where it's totally indistinguishable. They I, showed I a, couple yeah, they of played a recording World-like of, what's, of ahead.
1: this thing um, calling a pizza place or a restaurant to make a reservation. And the yeah. person on the other line was speaking in really quickly and not enunciating but uh the google thing did a good job of understanding and saying the right things and yeah yeah
2: and it threw a couple curveballs at it yeah um, and it which it handled
1: and i would think like you said if you knew something was up then you might suspect it but people say weird little things all the time and you don't even think about it. It's like that thing of, oh, that doesn't seem like anything to me. Like maybe in the back of your mind, you might start thinking that's weird, but it doesn't come into your full consciousness. So yeah. I, I could see it being like that.
2: Yeah. I mean, this thing just doesn't sound like a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, it, It's the cadence. It, it It's a human sounding cadence. And uh, so I had a couple of Westworld-like thoughts about this. Um, one is they were talking about how You know people like say random phrases and just like hmm and pause and like you were saying just and i was like huh am i really very different (laughs) from this stupid google (laughs) recording yeah (laughs) may not have much more to offer in a conversation than this thing does right
1: Like, I wanted to let you know, actually, that I contacted Google about having one of those things as my new podcast (laughs) co-host.
2: Just just like string some stock phrases together. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And nobody ever knew the difference.
1: I give it 4.5 violent
2: delights. (laughs) But the other thing, um, and this is really more about the way Westworld is, is the technology demonstrated by Google, very impressive. The purpose they demonstrated it for is completely banal and stupid. (laughs) Like who needs a digital assistant that calls businesses and makes like hairdressing appointments. I mean, uh, you're not exactly solving the problems of the world (laughs) there. So, uh, I mean, it very much to me suggested that is not the purpose this was invented (laughs) for. So I think, first of all, it's a lot more likely that you and I will call a restaurant and be talking to this thing than it is that oh, it will be making yeah. reservations for us. Um, but the other thing is I'm sure they have things much more sophisticated in mind. Um, things that will eventually replace a lot of what we do as human beings. I
1: think it's about immortality, probably. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah, it was creepy,
1: too, that they suggested that you know the whole idea is... to fool the person on the other line of into thinking that it's a real human being, which seems at best creepy and possibly not ethical. I don't know, but um, they did CNET contacted Google about it. And after this editorial was published, there was an update where Google said that it, will launch this product with quote disclosure built in. So I guess they're planning on, on revealing it. I don't know what they would say. Hi, I'm a robot. Can I make a reservation,
2: man? If we (laughs) have to count on companies like revealing all that totally defeats the purpose of the whole thing. You reveal (laughs) it. I know. I know it
1: does. I, you know what too? I also, um, I say there's a pretty good chance this will never even come out because Google tends to announce a lot of stuff they get excited about what's coming up, but they're not so good at realizing stuff besides search and ads. Sometimes they do.
2: Yeah. I heard that they're coming out with this really cool thing called Google Glass, which will be these glasses you wear that do. <laughs> that oh, awesome. never mind. <laughs> exactly. Too soon.
1: <laughs> All right. Enough about the glass holes. Now it's time for listener feedback. want to go ahead.
2: From Caroline Ann Collins. Okay, so who thinks Ford had himself post-mortem hosted? That scene underground had my heart thumping out of my chest, seriously good TV. Uh, that is a great point and you know we have speculated about that but I think this made it a lot more real, realistic. Yeah,
1: yeah. I want Anthony Hopkins back next week. Yes, big time. <laughs> a Karen Morvay, Morvay? <laughs> Says, I don't know who that could be
2: <laughs>
1: says amazing riddle of the Sphinx, the course of a human life, beginning, middle and end. We are, we were never meant to live forever. William eventually understands that.
2: That's a, you know, that's an, um, it's, this does not surprise me at all because, uh, Karen and I watch Westworld together. Although mm-hmm. it took us until this week to figure out that, um, it's on HBO go at six o'clock mm-hmm. uh, and we don't have to wait till nine o'clock. So, bad on both of us there but it's fun watching the show with her because she has very perceptive simple takes like that like what she just said there i tried to explain in like six paragraphs so
1: i know when we got to the title part we should have just read that we really should instead of (laughs)
2: stumbling around for 10 minutes
1: she goes on and humans make terrible railway ties eventually (laughs) And then also they reference the myth of Narcissus disgust. So I actually searched the script and Narcissus wasn't, um, in there, but I asked her about it and she meant when Delos says that quote that I mentioned earlier, um, you know, there was only ever the devil. And when you look up from the bottom, it was just his reflection, laughing back down at you. And that could reference narcissus who was very vain and looked into a pond or something and fell in love with his own reflection and couldn't bear to leave it. So he stared at it until he died. And narcissism is, is, um, is the psychological term that's, that came from that. It's about being fixated on yourself and your physical appearance or public perception, having a lack of empathy for others. Um, everyone else is seen as an extension of yourself, there to serve for your gratification. I think, um,
2: that those would be bad qualities in a public figure. Don't you think?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. If any, any kind of yeah. a leader. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. This show just deals in a lot of human foibles and maybe you could say that our obsession with these, host is a form of narcissism and going to the Westworld at all. And
2: yeah, it does. I'm not sure what they intended uh, in the script, but I thought her observation was a really good one. And it, it fits. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about this whole project of immortality, creating beings in your own image, what could be more narcissistic than that? Right. Right. <laughs> um, so, and it did not well end well for Narcissus, although eventually it became a flower and that was nice. But, uh, so maybe something good grows out of it in the end, but the story didn't end well for him. And we get the feeling it won't end well for any of these folks.
1: Right. I mean, that, that's interesting. I actually haven't thought, I wonder what the very last episode of this will be like, will it just be a complete downer or will there be some lightness in there too?
2: I could see either or. Yeah. Uh, Did they, do we know if they know, like, have they written an entire story arc? Do they know where this show's going?
1: I almost included something in the news I wish I had now uh, where someone asked Lisa Joy how much of this they had mapped out and uh, I think she said they mapped out just kind of general plotting for several seasons. I don't know if she talked about an endpoint though, but they said they she did map out a lot of different points to hit season by season, and then they fill it in and allow for things to change organically based on, you know, how it's going and everything.
2: Interesting. Okay. From uh, Sherry Morford, a great episode, but I feel like I need to watch it at least 10 times to understand it. Um, I was excited to see that the woman from the Raj did turn out to be William's daughter excited that Elsie's back. But she starts off by making some really dumb decisions. Why the heck did she walk into a heavily secured enclosure when there's clearly a deranged host or human inside? Can't she just observe the enclosure <laughs> before wandering in blindly? Yeah, that's a pretty good point. Would have been a less exciting scene, but yeah. That's why, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. To entertain us.
1: They, uh, they also asked in that interview, I didn't read it, but why did they need to burn the whole thing uh, every time, you know, they decided that this version of James Dallas wasn't going to cut it. And she talked about the allusion to hell, because there's a lot of that in this episode. But also she's like, and it just looked cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I respected her. thought for that too. That. Yeah.
2: There, that really, that seems like needlessly expensive. <laughs> right.
1: Mandy Castillo says, kudos to everyone who predicted our mystery woman was William's daughter and what a mindfuck tonight's episode was, and how interesting that Dellas was trying to mimic immortality after all. But it begs the question, is immortality worth it? After tonight, I think not. Another amazing episode.
2: Becky Price says, All I can say is that Ed Harris's ability to mimic Jimmy Simpson's mannerisms, speech patterns, and movements is unreal. It was amazing to watch, but I really wish they'd kept that up for the man in black all along took me out of the show a little because the man in black wasn't moving and speaking like his normal self. That's interesting. So that's what you were talking about earlier. And I would say yeah. it wasn't just Ed Harris mimicking Jimmy Simpson. They were, you know, working at that together a little bit.
1: Yeah. Actually, to be honest, I noticed it way more in Jimmy Simpson. Like I would, if the change if I hadn't, in him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If
1: I hadn't read this from Becky, I don't, I don't think I would have even noticed. And maybe that's because she's just more in tune with, mannerisms and things but that's yeah i like that you noticed that sandy Parsons says this isn't about the episode but ever since david guest hosted on game of microphones i kept thinking his voice sounded familiar like someone on tv well tonight i figured it out he sounds like adam scott from parks and rec
2: and the good place mystery solved you found me out
1: (laughs) (laughs) i I went not to cognito just trying to do
2: a little (laughs) podcast on westworld
1: (laughs) Oh, I'll cut this out. Sorry, Adam. Okay, now we have a couple of emails.
2: Okay, from Vanessa. Hi, guys. I just got a chance to listen to last week's podcast, and you were talking about Armistice's mechanical arm and how it got there. What many people haven't noticed is that Season 1, Episode 10 had an extra scene at the end of the credits. Uh, That's true. I do remember that. And I only know this because I have a thing about watching things to completion, yes, through all the credits, too, to ensure I haven't missed any hidden scenes. After the season one episode 10 credits wrap, the scene is armistice with her arm caught in the door, which is where we left her earlier on, sawing her own arm off or sawing off her own arm. Go back and watch it because it's so worth it. Super gnarly, but so badass. Ha ha. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Vanessa. Um, Great catch. You are absolutely right. I do remember that. And we did watch through the credits and see that, but I had forgotten about it. So you are on the mark.
1: Yeah, me too. I I had a vague recollection of that. And uh, yeah, I just wondered where she got the new arm. But oh, yeah, I, I think I didn't remember for sure if it had been completely removed, but apparently it had Awesome. Okay. Laura F says, Hey guys, I'm really liking your podcast about Westworld. Thank you. Such great coverage and great voices to listen to. I was thinking about piggybacking on the multiple Bernards idea that you mentioned a couple weeks ago. What if Ford and Arnold already found a way to store their own consciousnesses? What if Ford downloaded Arnold's consciousness into a Bernard model right before Ford himself was shot by Dolores? And one of these Bernards that is acting confused and shocked by what's going on might be this actual Arnold consciousness trying to orient to being awakened in the situation. I don't know. I love this show. Thanks. I don't know if I subscribe to the multiple Bernards, but I do think that there could be something about him having Arnold's consciousness.
2: Yeah, I I like that too. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's what it's going to turn out to be. But I like that idea that maybe he made a copy of his consciousness and has been waiting all these years until the technology developed enough to, to use it.
1: Mm. All right, that is our show, episode nine. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at westworld
2: or you can send a voice message to Westworld at podcastica.com and maybe we will play it on the air. You can always find us on the web
1: at facebook.com slash westworldcast.
2: And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com.
1: Next episode, next week, Westworld Season 2, Episode 5, Akane no Mai, which sounds very
2: Japanese. Oh man, I can't wait. I'm so excited. It's going to be a long week. We're almost halfway through the season already,
1: crazy I I know, it's going quick And this episode really kicked it up I mean, I was already enjoying it, but this has me more excited even about the
2: series Yeah, they went up a notch this week I mean, Mm -hmm. I hate to say it, but almost the least interesting character this year has been Dolores
1: Yeah, because she's a bit one note Yeah, I still find her interesting though But yeah, yeah, but hopefully that
2: storyline will pick up and become as interesting again as it was because she was probably the most interesting character in season one.
1: One thing that was great about this episode is just introduce some new, new things, this whole idea of immortality and copying consciousness. And I really was starting to feel like, yeah, the show needs to do that. So it was it was good to have that. Yep. All right. That is our show. Thanks for listening. I want to mention that this podcast is made possible by Patreon supporters. As a bonus, if you support, there's lots of good rewards and perks available. So if you want to check that out, please go to patreon.com slash Jason and Karen.
2: Because if you aim to cheat the devil, you at least owe him an offering.
0: (laughs) At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently.